Welcome to the Harbor Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information, visit us online at www.theharborli.com. We are in the middle of a series called Around the Table, and uh, Pastor Mike opened the series with a sermon called Jesus and the Bootleg, and he was talking about vulnerability how we need to be vulnerable with each other. If we truly want to have good community and relationship, we have to be willing to be vulnerable. Then Pastor Scott spoke last week on that there is no community without unity. And a lot of times we look around and and it's really easy to see other people's flaws, right? And just kind of gloss over our own. But Pastor Scott was talking about how we need to look inward. And there's some things that we can do to make unity possible. In this community. Today, the title of my sermon is Better Together. Better Together. Church, we are better together. Before I get to the text, I want to make you aware of something that we're doing next week. Pastor Bryn's going to talk about it here in a little bit at the end, but we're doing something next week called Bagel Sunday. How many of you guys remember Bagel Sunday of old? Like, come on, you, yeah, there we go. So we're going to do a Bagel Sunday, and this during this series, we're challenging you to get involved to be a part of this community. Well, next week, what we're going to do is we're going to have our connect group leaders and uh, people that run any group here at the harbor. They're going to be in the back there to talk to you about how you can become more involved here, how you can have more good friendships and relationships, all while stuffing your face with bagel and cream cheese. So we want to invite you to that. That is next Sunday following the second service, all right? So make sure you you, uh, make it a point to be here. We want you here to be a part of that. Can you turn in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 12? Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. I forgot to say this at the beginning of the first service, so I want to make sure I say this now. It is all right. Actually, it's not all right. It's preferred that you guys talk back, all right? Most of the time, I'm working down with the kids. Do you think they hold back? No. So when I'm in here and I say something that you like, I want to hear amen. All right, I want to hear, oh, come on, all right? If you got white tissues, you can even, like, wave them. Anybody carry hankies? My dad has a hanky still. Isn't that crazy? So feel free to do that, all right? Like, that's okay. You can be excited about what God is doing in this place in our lives. So feel free to talk back. Ecclesiastes 4, verse 9 through 12, says this. Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. Come on, somebody. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple-braided cord is not easily broken. We need each other, church. This is a giant family. I don't know if you realize that. I've been in different churches. I was born and raised in the Midwest. I went to school in Missouri. I've been to a lot of different churches, and what we have here is special, and I want you to realize that. If you've only ever been to the harbor, you probably don't realize how special it is, and one of the things that the leadership here will hear often When someone comes and wants to get involved here, they just say, it just feels like a big family. And that's awesome. 
That's what it's meant to be. That is the goal. Otherwise, it's nothing more than, you know, just an event. Again, just a box that we just check off the list. We do life together. That's the only way that I know how to do life is with you. We need each other. When I think about needing each other, my mind first goes to sports teams. I like sports. I like to play a lot of sports. I'm not the best at sports, but I really enjoy playing sports. I like watching some sports, but I really like to play. And I like being part of an underdog team. Have you ever played a sport where you're with a guy who totally stacks the teams? I got a few friends like that. We'll like split up for basketball and I'll look over and I'm like, they look like the Monstars off of like Space Jam. You know what I mean? And I'm over here. I'm like, oh, come on. Are you serious? You know, they'll like stack the deck. But I like being a part of an underdog story. There's something in me when I'm like, all right, doubt me. Please doubt me. I know I'm really intimidating, right? Yeah, all five foot nine of this. So, but I, I really get amped about that. I'm like, yeah, come on, let's go. We're the underdog. And I started to think of awesome underdog stories in sports. How many of you guys remember the Miracle on Ice, 1980? I know we're dating. Yeah, I know. I'm, that was three years before I was born. It sounds amazing. But the Miracle on Ice, 1980 Winter Olympics in Lake Placid. You had the United States men Olympic hockey team versus the mighty Soviet hockey machine. This is essentially amateurs versus professionals. This is a true David Goliath type story. That was the youngest team. That team that we sent to play in the Olympics was the youngest team up, up until that point and since. And they defeated a team that was supposed to absolutely crush them. We won four to three. Come on, America. We won four to three and then later went on to win the gold medal. If you don't remember that one, maybe you'll remember this one. The New York Giants defeat the New England Patriots in Super Bowl 42 in 2007. Any Giants fans? All right, come on. The Giants were down 14-10 with two minutes and 39 seconds left. And what happens? Manning throws his bum, 32-yard pass to David Tyree, who's a Michigan alumni, by the way. And he catches the ball on his helmet, and they go on to defeat the Patriots. The Patriots were undefeated that season. They were undefeated in the whole regular season, obviously undefeated up until the Super Bowl. The Giants limped into the playoffs. They were a wild card team. They were the last ones to make it into the playoffs. And that David took down a Goliath, right? Come on. All right, now this next story to me is the greatest underdog story of my life. And that is, can you put it up there for me? The Little Giants. How many of you guys remember this movie? Yeah, come on. The Little Giants. Danny O'Shea led a group of kids that nobody expected anything from, right? All these guys are dorky and they got their glasses and, you know, intimidation. You guys remember that? So he faces his brother who's a stud and has a bunch of awesome athletes on their team. And they're, they're, it's this peewee football game. And who wins? The underdog. I love underdog stories. They excite me. They get me going. When I think about how this is possible, though, what makes that possible? Well, what makes it possible is a saying that many of us have heard before. The whole is greater than the sum of its parts. The whole is greater than the sum of its parts. That means the team together is better than any one individual, one individual and how well they play. 
I like watching when, you know, the super teams are a big deal right now, right? In the last few years, NBA, the Celtics made theirs, and then, like, here we go. I love when it first comes together and they're trying to make it happen and it's just not working. Does that make me sick? I like it when it's not working because there's so many, like, attitudes and, and just egos in that room and they're, they're, they haven't learned to gel together as a team. But then you take a team that truly understands the definition of team and then they take out these awesome athletes. I love that. I love the underdog story. Hey, if you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write down my first point. It's this. There's no such thing as a lone wolf in the kingdom of God. There's no such thing as a lone wolf in the kingdom of God. I've had many conversations with people before where they're just like, oh, yeah, I'm just out there on my own, man. I don't need anybody. I don't need anything. And they're super cool, you know. And uh, when I meet these people, it makes me think back to Sunday afternoons when I was growing up. Do you guys have those movies or shows where you're flipping through the channels and then you just can't pass it, right? You see it and you're like, ah, I got to go back. I've seen it a million times. doesn't matter. I got to go back and watch this. That's the way that my dad was with Westerns, all right? Horrible, right? That's why I am the way that I am. That's my excuse. I had to watch these Westerns almost every Sunday afternoon, and almost every storyline is the same, right? There's some town, and they're being terrorized and all this kind of stuff, and then in walks a guy that looks something like this. Wham, 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 right? Kicks in the door, right? He says, you know, something like, I'm your worst nightmare, punk, or something like that. I don't know. But he's this lone wolf-type character. He's always by himself. He doesn't need anybody. He can take out all these bad guys by himself. And as a child, you start to go, wow, that guy's cool. He doesn't need anybody. That's not the way the kingdom of God works, church. We may want to be that way, but that is not the way that we were designed to be. That is not what true success looks like. There is no lone wolves in the kingdom of God. How do I know that? Well, in the second chapter of the first book of the Bible, God says something very profound. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 says this. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. I want to focus on that first part. It is not good that man is alone. We weren't made to be alone. We were made to be social creatures. And I don't mean social media necessarily, all right? I'm not trying to be this old fuddy-duddy up here and talk about how bad the Facebook is and all that stuff. That's not what I'm trying to do. But I do feel that there is a false sense of community that we have now with our iPhones, right? We think we have all these friends. We think we have all these people because they'll comment on different things and blah, blah, blah. But when the rubber meets the road, when stuff really hits the fan, where are they? Where are they? If you're not having those conversations face-to-face, if you're not getting lunch, they don't even know. They're off in their own little world in la-la Facebook land, all right? That's not what we were made for. We were made for true community. Adam needed Eve. Moses needed Aaron. David had his mighty men. Abraham had Lot. David had Jonathan. Noah had his sons. Ruth had Naomi. Paul had Silas and Timothy. God 
The Godhead is three in one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. There's relationship there. So why do we tend to draw back and think that we got this on our own? I hate to break it to you. You don't got this. You don't. We need each other. There is no such thing as a lone wolf in the kingdom of God. When Jesus sent out the disciples, how did he do it? Two by two. Mark 6 verse 7 says, And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. Why did he do that? He could have split them up and they couldn't have gone 12 different directions. But they went out two by two. Why? Because he knew that we need each other. Jesus recognized that. You're going to need each other. One might be having a bad day. One might, might need help. One might, whatever it is, we need each other. They went out two by two. My second point, write this down. When I don't believe, I can. When I don't believe, I can. You ever feel like God has put something on your heart and you're just like, I'm sorry, God, you got the wrong guy. I can't do that. You must meant that guy over there who can, you know, communicate better than me. That guy over there who's better looking. That guy over there who's stronger, who's popular. Who's, yeah, wrong guy. Your, your aim is a little off. You meant that guy over there. There's no way that you meant me. I can't do that. You ever feel like you're not enough? I do. I'm just going to be honest. I'm going to be transparent and real. That's, that's all I got is this. And I, I don't feel like I'm enough. I go to my wife all the time. I'm like, what am I doing? I don't know why I'm up on this stage talking to you right now. Who am I? I, I can't. God, me? You must have the wrong guy. Can you turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 3? Exodus chapter 3. We're going to talk about a guy named Moses. Now, Moses was raised in a, as an Egyptian prince, but he was born to a Hebrew slave. One day he sees a Hebrew being mistreated by an Egyptian. And what does he do? He kills the Egyptian. So now he's on the run for his life. He's going to get in huge trouble. So he's running for his life in the desert. And we read a story about him sitting there one day in the desert. And he looks over and he sees a burning bush. And he notices that it's not burning up. And he's like, Wait, what's going on with that? I mean, I would have been shocked by the burning bush, but he had to be, he was shocked when it didn't burn up, whatever. So he goes over to check out this burning bush that's not burning up, and what happens? He begins to have a conversation with God. God speaks to Moses out of the burning bush, and he says, I have plans for you. I have a job for you. I want to use you. What does Moses begin to do? List a bunch of excuses. He did exactly what I would do, excuse after excuse. The first one, well, God, who am I? Who am I that you would use me? Who am I? How can you use me? God addresses that excuse. Next excuse, I don't know what to say. Man, I've been there. There's been times where I feel like God will put a name, a face on my heart, and someone I'm supposed to talk to, someone I'm supposed to share the love of God with, and I go, how do I even start this conversation? Hey, dude, what's up? God loves you. Like, where, I mean, that's weird, right? Like, what, how do I do this? I don't know what to say. He says, they won't believe me. The Hebrews, they won't even believe that I was sent to help rescue them. They're not going to believe me. 
Then he gets down to a very raw excuse. I feel like he tries some that everybody would say. And then he gets very, very personable. And he says this, I am not eloquent and I am slow of speech. So pretty much, I'm not good with words and I have a stuttering problem. He gets down to a very personal issue. God, me? How am I going to do this? I don't know what to say. I'm not a smart man. And then when I go to talk, I trip over my words all the time. What's interesting is there is a time when the excuses stop. There's a time when Moses stops giving his excuses to God. But I want to point out what it took for Moses to stop offering those excuses. Exodus 4, verse 14 says, Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. The excuses stopped after that. God sent Aaron to Moses, and then Moses goes, okay. All these excuses, you're by yourself, you got to do this. Here's a friend. Okay. Moses didn't believe he could, but as soon as God brought someone into his life and said, you're not doing this alone, you're going to have help, okay. Was Pharaoh any less scary? No. But when he didn't believe that he could, God brought someone alongside him. He says, all right, let's do this. My third point, write this down. When I'm not strong enough. When I'm not strong enough. I think there's a perception when you're a young man, a boy, a teenager, that someday you're going to arrive at a place where you're going to be like your dad, where you can take on the world. You can loosen any rusty bolt. You can figure out any problem. You can fix any toy, whatever it is. Your dad can do anything. And as you're growing up, you're like, someday I'm going to be like my dad. Someday I'm going to be able to do anything. And then one day you're the dad going, what am I doing? Who's trusted me with a wife and a home and kids? I don't know what I'm doing here. God, I'm not strong enough for this. I can't, all, the weight of this is on me. You ever felt crushed by life? I have. I have. Life is absolutely crushing the life out of me because I'm not strong enough. And there's a time where you, you're, you're kind of doing it on your own and you're like, all right, I, I think I'm doing this right. I think I'm doing this right. Meanwhile, it's crushing you and crushing you. And then you come to a place where you just finally have to admit I'm not strong enough. You finally can say it out loud. I'm not strong enough. And you feel like that is your greatest moment of weakness. But ironically, it's your greatest moment of strength. I want you to turn over in Exodus to chapter 17. So Moses goes in, does his thing, talks to Pharaoh. You know, there's the plagues and all that stuff. And then they, they leave. And they're in the desert, and they're on the way to the promised land. And they have put up with some issues, but they were all internal. Well, they're about to deal with the first problem that's external, the Amalekites. So as they're on their way, the Amalekites are getting ready to attack. Now, mind you, this nation 
doesn't have an army that's all set up ready to go. They don't have horses and swords and shields and all this stuff ready to go. They're just trying to get to a place that they're going to call home. And they're going to have to deal with the Amalekites. So Moses tells Joshua, all right, get the people ready. Get them ready. Get the troops ready. We're going to have to go to battle. And he says, while you get the men ready for battle, I'm going to go up on that hill. And I'm going to take Aaron and her with me. Exodus chapter 17, verses 11 through 13. This is during the battle. It goes like this. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him and sat, and he sat on it, while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun, and Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with a sword. They won that day because two men were willing to come stand beside Moses and help him in a time of need. This makes me think of a story. I was having a conversation with my dad one time. and Have you guys ever seen those strongman contests? They, I feel like they play them on ESPN at like weird times, like, I don't know, holidays and stuff, like when nothing else is on. So I remember watching one of these strongman contests, and of course they're moving these huge stones. I'm like, Dad, I can do that, right? And... They're doing this thing where they take car batteries and they're holding them in their hands and they're holding them out and they're getting like 30 seconds and they're shaking and their faces are red and veins are popping out and they're sweating. I'm like, come on, Dad, that can't be that hard. Those batteries aren't that heavy, right, Dad? My dad says, stand up, son. Okay. I stand up and he goes, put your hands out like this. Okay. After about 15 seconds, I'm like, I couldn't even hold up nothing. These guys are car batteries. Anyway, Moses has his staff in his hand. And as it's raised in the air, signifying God's help. That's what that's signifying. God, we can't do this on our own. The only way that we can do it is through you. Arms raised, they're winning. But you can only do that so long. You can only handle things like that so long, and as your arms begin to come down, well, now the enemy starts to win. So thank God he had Aaron and her, and they say, come on, dude, sit down, sit down. You stand on that side, I'll stand on this side. Let's hold up his arms. They held up his arms until the sun went down, and they overwhelmed the enemy because of what happened with Moses. I'm not strong enough. And I hate to burst your bubble, but you're not either. We're not strong enough. Life comes at you fast. Life is tough. We are not made to do this alone. We need people in our lives like Aaron and her that will see a problem and help. Not just go, oh, that stinks, buddy. They'll come along beside and say, I got you. Let's do this. That's what we need. We can't do that, though, if we think we're a lone wolf and we got this. On our own. I'm going to call the band up because I'm, I'm to my last point. But I want you to write this down. Me versus we. Me versus we. Proverbs 27, 17 says this. Iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. We're here for each other. 
at this time, I'm going to call up some, some guys that are important in my life, some guys that are there for me, some guys that stand shoulder to shoulder with me, that do life with me, that go through battles with me, that are there no matter what I'm going through, no matter how tough things get. These are guys that at any time, night or day, I can reach out to and say, hey, man, I'm struggling. These are guys that I've stood before, sat on a chair before, and bawled my eyes out, saying, I've done it again, man. I've messed up. I've gone to these guys and said, I don't know how to be a good dad. I've gone to these guys and said, I don't know how to be a good husband. I went to Vinny the last time I spoke, and I said, I hope I'm doing what God's called me to do right now. I hope the message that I'm about to speak is what God told me to speak. And Vinny was able to say, brother, God, put it in your heart. Now you just got to say it. All of these guys are here no matter what I go through. I can't do life alone. I'm not strong enough. I'm not enough. I'm not. I can't. But we weren't made to that's not how we were made. We were made for this, for community. I trust every one of these men. They're not just there for support. They will call me out. I'm not going to name any names, Scott Schneider, but I'm pretty sure he's called me an idiot before. I think... I would trust these guys if they said, let me, let me see your phone. I want to see your browser history. They got it. If they want to say, what are you watching on Netflix? Let's look at that history. They got it. I trust them. Now, this wasn't done in a day. This is, I've known some of these guys 15 years. But I know that they are there no matter what I go through. I wanted to give you guys a visual of what life is supposed to be like. Marcos, can you put that next slide up? You guys ever played this game right here? Barrel of Monkeys? I know this sounds silly, but go with me. What's, what's the point of Barrel of Monkeys? You, you take one, and you link it, and then you link another, and then you link another, and the person that wins is the person with the longest link. Can you guys just interlock arms? The person that wins is the one with the longest link. Our hosts are going to come forward right now. And they're going to pass around some buckets that have these in them. And this is what I want. I want each and every one of you in this place to take one of these. And this is why. I want you to take this and remember that we were not made to do this alone. I intimidate no one. I am built like a 12-year-old girl, all right? I intimidate no one. But if I walked in some place with my crew, with my posse, it's a different ballgame, right? I mean, look at them. They're all mean looking, right? This is how we're meant to do life. I'm not bragging. I'm proud, and I am thankful. And if I'm bragging on anybody, it's these men right here. Because I love and I trust every single one of them. And I know they want what's best for me. And I want what's best for them. We've all had conversations. I had to be vulnerable. Remember Pastor Mike's message? I had to be vulnerable. But when you're vulnerable, 
and you can build these kind of relationships, man, that's, that's the way that it's supposed to be. This is the way that we've been called to do life. You don't wake up to this. This is intentional. I've gone to each and every one of them and opened my heart before. You have to be intentional. Now listen, I can already hear the excuses. Well, Ben, I've been hurt before. Who hasn't? I've trusted people with some very important information that they've turned around and hurt me with it. We're human, that happens. But you know what? The pros far outweigh the cons of trying. If you say, Ben, you don't understand, I've tried before, try again. And don't stop, don't give up. You might say, Ben, why are you so passionate about this? It's not life and death. You're right, it's bigger than that. It's about eternity. This is a matter of eternity because I'm not strong enough. I can't do it on my own. So if I get crushed and I walk away and I say, God, I can't do this anymore, every single one of these men are going to say, what are you doing? What are you doing? I thank God for them. That's the only way that I can do life. It's the only way. Can you give it up for these guys as they take their seats? I know we talked a few minutes ago about Jesus sending out the disciples two by two. But I want to just remind you of a story really quick. As Jesus was nearing the end of his life, his earthly ministry here, before he's going to go to the cross, he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. And when he's at the Garden of Gethsemane, he takes his disciples and he tells most of them, stay right here. But he tells Peter, James, and John, come with me. Come with me. And he says to them something along the lines of, this is going to be the Ben Murray version. I need you right now. I need you right now. I'm to the point of death. I feel like death. What I'm about to encounter, I don't want to do it alone. I need you with me. Jesus said that. I need you with me. Church, too many times we think that we got this alone. What's the difference between the Harbor Church and a concert relationship? You can go to a concert and scream and yell and pump your fist to some music like, yeah, dude, this is awesome, right? And then you leave. What's different about the harbor? I have men in my life that will come up and say, Ben, how you doing? And if I say, oh, yeah, good, and I give them some canned answer, they go, don't try that with me. How are you doing? What's going on? How can I pray for you? I love you, man. That's the way that we're supposed to live out life arm in arm, linked up, not by ourselves. Next week, you're going to have an opportunity. I said it earlier, but we're going to have connect group leaders here. And that's just people coming together and doing life. And you might go, I've never heard of that. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that is. It's people doing life together. It's going to someone's house and just talking about the goodness of God. You know what's awesome when I have conversations with godly men in my life, I leave encouraged. 
I leave encouraged. There's a guy in my life, his name's Gordon. He's in the back right now. And I think back to conversations that I have with Gordon. And one thing I love about Gordon is when we have a conversation, he almost always brings up scripture. He very quickly turns me back to scripture. I'm a pastor. I should know this stuff, right? But I thank God for men like Gordon. They'll say, yeah, but doesn't it say in? Wow. What about where it says, yeah, that's true. I need that. You need that. You need to be intentional. I am challenging you right now. If you just come to the harbor to check off a box, to get your little spiritual shower so you can leave and go, all right, everything's good again. Man, you're doing it wrong. That's not the intention. The hope is that we do life together, that we are there for each other. We weren't made to do it alone. Will you stand with me this morning? I want every time that I'm up here and have the honor and privilege to speak to you to leave you with a challenge. I don't want you to leave and go, well, that was nice and motivational. I want you to feel challenged. I want you to pray to God and say, God, how does that affect me? God, am I doing this right? We don't want to just be hearers of the word, church. We want to be doers. And I presented you with a lot of scripture today. We need each other. So I'm going to close this part with prayer. And as I'm praying, I'm just leading you in prayer. You're coming with me. I want you to have a conversation with God on your own. And I want you to say, God, am I doing this right? God, do I have people in my life? God, do I have a group of men, a group of women that will stand beside me, link arm in arm and say, I got you. I am there for you. I am praying for you. Do I have that? And if not, God, help me with that. Open my eyes up to it. Lord, we love you and we thank you, God, for your word. God, I thank you that I can turn to your word and I am reminded every single day, God, of how awesome you are. I'm reminded every day of how I'm supposed to do life. God, I don't want to be a lone wolf. God, I don't want to just internalize this. That's not the way I was designed to be. I was designed to have community with others. God, I pray for each and every person in this room. God, I pray that you just start to bring names and faces to their minds. People that they can do life together with. Trustworthy, good, loving people that will remind them of your goodness. That will build their faith. That will be there through the tough times and the good times. God, we love you with everything that we are. Help us to take what we got today and apply it to our lives. We love you so much in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you would like to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus today, visit us online at www.theharborli.com backslash next step.